Hello, welcome to another edition of Shoot Defense. I'm your host, Stell. I've got Steve here with me. How are you doing, Steve? Morning, Stell. You okay? Yeah, all good. Morning. Can you believe it? We're actually doing this yeah. in the morning. No yeah, Monday morning. How crazy are we? How are you doing? I'm delighted with your special guest you've got on today, mate. Very, very, very. Listen, good. I couldn't, I couldn't have got this special guest on without you, man. Come on. Yeah, over <laughs> to you, mate. Introduce him. Come on, he's, he's your friend. Introduce him, please. Well, obviously, um, he'll need no introduction when he when he starts speaking because of an outstanding playing career. Um, one of the greatest players, I think, for Newcastle um, in in amazing times under Kevin Keegan era and and more. Uh, went over to Sunderland. Has uh, played for other clubs, but obviously I, I locked in with him when he became manager of Huddersfield, a young manager at the time. A 43-game unbeaten run, which is probably unheard of um, and will be unheard of again. Um, unfortunate to leave his position, but went on to do great things. Kept Birmingham in the Football League in a late game against Bolton Wanderers. Been up in Scotland, been abroad. And um, probably the best to talk about himself is Lee Clark rather than anything I could do but fantastic guest for you to have on Lee thank you for joining us mate really appreciate it no delighted to be on obviously got a real strong relationship with Steve uh, through the football we have the same beliefs and philosophies we've never been lucky enough to work with each other as yet but uh, who knows in the future our paths have we've always kept in touch we've talked about football regular. We'll have many uh, conversations and uh, delighted to come on your show and talk all things football. Thank you very much, mate. Thank you very much. Well, look, let's start with one of your old clubs. In fact, your, your first club, Newcastle United. They got a draw against Leeds United on Friday nights. And in all fairness, mate, I think Newcastle have been quite unfortunate the past couple of games. I know they played Manchester United and it was a 4-1 beating, but on the balance of playing the first half, Newcastle were quite unfortunate. And with this game against Leeds, again, unfortunate not to come away with all three points. What did you make of it? I thought it was an exciting game. I think it's a typical Leeds United game when they go for the, the man-to-man uh, system and, you know, the high press. If you can get through that, if you can win your one-on-one duels, you can uh, make the game exciting. The, the thing for Newcastle is their strengths in the attacking areas. Um, St. Maxim, obviously Wilson's injured at the moment, but they have, uh, you know, Fraser, uh, Almiron, who's been actually playing in a little bit of a deeper position. But it ended up like a basketball game. I mean, in all honesty, in the first part of the game, Leeds came out with traps strong. It could have been two or three, but uh, Newcastle bounced back. St. Maxim was always the shining light. You, knew, you thought if something was going to happen, it was going to come through him. Um, I was sitting watching it and it was like, uh, is, is there any midfield players on the pitch? Because once you won, once you got the turnover of the ball, you were just driving at the back fours of your opponents, both teams. So for the neutral, it was exciting. I think what we have to temper that with in terms of Newcastle is it's a completely different game when you play Leeds. Every club that will play Leeds will find a unique game in that season. So when Newcastle go to Watford, for example, this weekend, it'll be a completely different game. There'll be a bit more uh, in terms of a structure. It'll not be Leeds have got that mentality. We're not bothered who we're playing. We're going to take you on one-to-one, man-for-man. Um, and uh, they do it very well. They've got very fit, athletic players. They've got lads who have a great hunger to do that. They, they seem to have an unbelievable respect for their, for their manager, and rightly so, and Bielsa. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're a brilliant team to watch. Uh, I, I was under the impression before the game it was going to be an exciting one. It didn't let us down. And 
Newcastle's strength, as I said, is their attacking areas. They have to go into games with that mentality. You know, a lot of the frustrations over the last couple of seasons has been a bit of a defensive mindset. We're not actually very good at it when we do it because our goalkeeper inadvertently ends up being man of the match, player of the season. So obviously, even when we're playing a defensive uh, system, we do allow the opponents to have many opportunities. So I think when your strengths are in the the, the attacking end of the field, you have to go that way and you're going to have to try and uh, accept that you know, you'll concede one or two goals, but you've got players who can be match winners for you. Because ultimately with what's happened in terms of um, the uh, restructuring of the squad over the summer, there's only Joe Willick brought in, but he was actually a player from last season. So there's been no additions really to the squad from that finished the season so strongly. There's been actually four or five players who've left to freedom of contract. So... Uh, we expect it's going to be a tough old season again, one of, of, of toil and uh, trying to beat the teams in the round here in that bottom six, bottom eight positions. So, Lee, um, is Steve Bruce in a sort of a catch-22 situation here? Because as you said, going forward, they're brilliant. Defensively, they're not great. But do you think Steve Bruce is possibly thinking, well, if I go every single game with an attack-minded system, we're going to get tonked. So we're going to be bottom half of the table fighting relegation or is he thinking well I need to play this defensive system to avoid being in that situation well if you look at the game on Friday they went with the 3-5-2 or the 5-3-2 whichever way you want to call it and uh, for the first 15-20 minutes couldn't get out uh, obviously Leeds had exploited the, the switch of play in the wide areas and were just absolutely back the Newcastle they couldn't get out they kept moving the ball from side to side. They kept hitting the diagonal pass for quality and they were getting two V1s in the wide area. And Newcastle then went to a 4-3-3, uh, 4-2-3-1 and, and the game changed in their favour. They start getting some territory, they start making some chances of their own and causing Leeds problems. Uh, when you've got that group of players, um, you, 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 have to, you have to go on the front foot, um, especially at St James's. Um, you, you've got to look at the personnel you have. Um, you know, that 5 3 2, and Steve tries to do it and when he does it on a defensive side. The two wing backs are actually wingers out their own right in Jacob Murphy and um, Matt Ritchie. He did go with Mankiw on Friday because he'd done well down at Old Trafford the week before, and he's a bit more of a defensive minded. But, you know, it still has attack minded players. So, but when the player and they'd give the territory away and they drop deep and they try and uh, to play with a low block. It, it, it doesn't work because the, the teams get in behind us, they get down the sides, they play little combinations and uh, we, we, we end up having to rely on our goal, goalkeeper being the outstanding player in the game. So um, I, th- I think with the players that we have at this moment in time, the personnel that we have, um, we have to play on the front foot. So certainly when you're t- taking... You know, when you take the Lee, uh, the Liverpools, the Man Cities, and the Chelseas uh, out of the equation, especially at St James's, you've got to go to the tour with them and say, right, our attacking players still have the structure of the defence. You've still got to keep working on that and hoping that you can rectify the defensive problems and start getting clean sheets. But knowing that the strength of your teams in, in your attacking players. Mm. Final question on Newcastle, Lee. Um, sorry to put you on the spot here, but as someone who played in a fantastic side with your Ferdinands, your Shearers, Esprias, et cetera, et cetera, known as the entertainers. How does it feel as a former player looking at this current Newcastle side and playing this pragmatic defensive game? 
I feel sorry for the players and I feel sorry for all the head coaches that have been in under the Mike Ashley era. Uh, when there's no ambition from the top, there's no uh, finance spent on the infrastructure of the football club. And I mean that, I mean your training facilities are still 20th century, both first team and academy. I mean, for example, the first team training centre has not changed since I retired in 2006. It's had a lick of paint, it's had some few modern more pictures put up but the actual structure of the building and the setup of the building is not the same. It's not 21st century. The academy is still very much the same. Um, you know, if you're spending, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds or, you know, per week on, on these football players, which is the modern day salary demands of a Premier League player, you have to give them, you have to look after them and give them the best of the, the, the equipment to use to prepare for these huge games that are, you know, the Premier League's a worldwide brand. And um, so it's difficult. You mentioned the team I played in. You know, I was a local lad. So every time there was a new signing that came into the group, it made the group stronger. And what it made me have to do and the other players, we had to become better. We had to work We had to work harder again in training. We had to watch these top players come in, see what they've done, see why they were top players. How did they train? How did they prepare? Take all these little bits and pieces on board. And I loved it. Because it's easy when you're, a, if you're a good player, it's you become a better player when you play with better players. And I'm sure those Newcastle lads sit in the dressing room and are hoping for three, four, five big signings every summer to give them a hand. They don't, you know, the pressure when you're down the bottom is just horrific because, you know, you lose a couple of games and you potentially could be getting relegated. You want to be up there. You want to have the pressure of challenging. Not, you know, Newcastle... I'm never going to get back to those days that we had when we're challenging to win the title. And the fans aren't demanding that. They want to just try and make that leap into the top 10, between 10 and 8 position. The top six are so far away in terms of finance, quality of player. Um, you know, but there just has to be. And it's it's the leadership from the top. If, if, if your sole aim is to finish fourth bottom, and that's your remit from your owner, eventually you'll come unstuck and you won't finish fourth bottom, you'll finish in the bottom three. So it's difficult for the head coaches. The fans as well are um, of the mindset. It's difficult when you go in as a head coach at that football club and you're appointed by Mike Ashley because they then think that the head coach is a friend of the, of the, of the uh, owner. And that's where the breakdown in relationship is. So that as soon as the results don't go great, the, the turn on the head coach and it becomes it's a di- listen it's a difficult arena you've got you haven't got to just be a good player to play there you've got to be a, a strong character because the demands are huge and the expectations are huge and rightly so so it's a very difficult uh, club to play for it's I feel sorry for a lot of the fans because all they've known is the 14 years of the Mike Ashley, Mike Ashley era they don't know anything different they, ha- they, they don't know my era before they don't know the era before me, you know. Um, so that you know, all they've known is a couple of relegations, come back up straight away. But ultimately, most seasons, with the exception of one, where Alan Pardew got us to the fifth, is the uh, is the annual relegation fight, which is it's it's not nice, and it's it, it cannot be nice for the players. Oh, absolutely. And when you look at the signings of, say, for example, Jolinson, and, and I know it's not the guy's fault that the club spent close to 40 million, however much it was, but you're thinking you could have spent that money so much better bringing in experienced heads who've got that know-how to not just challenge the tiles, but maybe just to keep sides at a, a steady level. There's, there's so many players that you've seen 
leaving to join other clubs for, for knockdown prices. They could have done that, but I don't know what the ulterior motive is. And I don't think anyone else, apart from people that are running the club, know what it is. I I, well, listen, I, I'm, I'm not on here to, to, to have a pop with individuals, but that deal is just doesn't make sense in every single aspect. Like you said, a young player who didn't have a massive history of being a goal scorer, bring him in in the more than double uh, the record signing. Michael Owen was the previous one at 16 million. Shearer before that at 15 million. And they go and pay 40 million. And then another crazy uh, thing that they do, they give him the uh, iconic number nine jersey. And the people who wear that are under even more demands. And, um, you know, he obviously hasn't fulfilled that. They've given that now to Callum Wilson. But, you know, Steve will tell you when you're in the game of recruitment as a head coach or a club, recruitment and results are the two main things. Now, there's someone inside that football club that's convinced, convinced Mike Ashley to part with £40 million, the club record signing. And, 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 and where is these dossiers? How have they convinced the owner to, depart, to, to part with that type of money? So there's someone has to be responsible for that signing. There's talk that Rafa left because that was one of the deals that was being pushed on him and he didn't want the deal to happen. He was saying before Steve took over. So who is going to take responsibility for that signing? There's been too much undue pressure on the lad. You can see it on his shoulders. Not up to the job. You know, when you have, when you play with a player, and I've, I've done this before, and, and I've played with players and I've managed players, and they come in with big reputations and they don't particularly start particularly well on the pitch. Um, I've done it myself when I first moved to Fulham. You know, I went down there as a record signing. And for the first four or five games, and most of the fans at Craven Cottage must have thought, who's this fella? He's absolutely useless. But that was just the change. I was living in a hotel. It was the first time I was away from my family. I then found my feet. And when you're a player or a manager, you see these players and you see sometimes on the training pitch they're producing. You see what their assets are. So they might be good in the air or they've got good hold-up play or they've got terrific movement or... You know, that awareness is brilliant. Unfortunately, with Joe Linton, I'm not seeing any kind of those. I'm not seeing an asset. I'm not seeing one particular asset stick out for him. And uh, that's the worrying thing. Um, and, uh, you know, the other thing that's mi mysterious for the fans up here and is, is the Dwight Gale situation. Dwight was out of contract. They gave him a brand new three-year contract then this season. We, uh, we're struggling for goals. We do all the time when Callum Wilson's out the team. We rely on St. Maxim. Dwight Gale, yeah, granted, he hasn't scored a lot of goals in the Premier League, but he does have that you know, instinct in the Championship. He does. He can, he's shown he can finish, but he's never played one minute. He's never came on off the bench when we've needed a goal, etc. So that's another mysterious thing for, for the fans here. But the Joe Linton one is, is the biggest mystery to everybody up here. And... Uh, Unfortunately, I cannot, I cannot see that situation changing. Thanks, Lee. Appreciate it. Because, like I said, I didn't want to put you on the spot with that. I know uh, people have got their opinions about Newcastle, and especially a former Newcastle player. I didn't want to make it a bit awkward. But, hey, thanks for that. Um, Rod, welcome. You've had a shave, so it must be Monday morning. Exactly. Have you had a haircut as well? No. That's the day. <laughs> How you doing? Hello. You Okay. Yeah, I'm good. Kids dropped off. I'm good. No, got to love a morning school, Ronnie. Right, let me ask you a question then. We've been destroying Arsenal for the past few weeks about their mentality and the lack of physicality and just having no cojones, as uh, Troy Deeney said. But they went to Burnley at the weekend. They got a really good result and a decent performance as well. 
Yeah, I think a pretty uh, put that in the result now. Arsenal won a, one nil away in September. It's it's a different kettle of fish there this time of year. And I fancied Arsenal, you know, they, they had a good win last last week. So I just fancied them. And yeah, they've all they need to do is get a win. They've got good players, they've got a good coach, despite despite what a lot of people say. But you know, they're still they're still up against it. But, yeah, but come on, man, that's that's two wins on the bounce. Yeah, now, it's, I know it's, it's a bit still, come on, it's Arsenal. This is Arsenal football club. I get it, but look at the level. But this is where they're at at the moment. Yeah, true, true. This is where they're at. They're not the the Arsenal, the invincible. True, and it's still a difficult place to go. As Des has said, first sixty minutes you've got your tin out on, and then after that it's 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 uh, open season. So, but no, it's a good result, mate. One nil away from home. It's me and Stez talk about it all the time. Best result away from home. Mm-hmm. Solid, clean sheet. Uh, yeah, good and I, I've got to praise that back five as well. I know Ramsdale's come with a lot of criticism because of his price, which obviously isn't his fault and having been relegated on numerous occasions. But he, Gabriel, Ben White, OK, Ben White had a little bit of a wobble early on. But the, the Japanese right back, Tierney, they're, they're looking pretty decent in all fairness. Again, it's a work in progress. And again, people have been criticising Arteta, but he's another one that requires time. And I think slowly, slowly, they're getting there. They're getting there. They are getting there. They've had a tough start. You know, they have some tough teams to play out. It's a pretty tough fixture to start with. But, you know, you've got to start with someone and you've still got to play these games. And I'm lucky for Arsenal, they all come at the start. So, yeah, they've got them out of the way now and they've got two wins under the belt. So you'd expect them to kick on now. And like you say, them players seem to be finding their feet now. So, yeah, it looks good for Arsenal fans, obviously. We're not in a relegation fight. Steve, there's a player that we rarely mention on this podcast and he scored the winner. It's Martin Odegaard. Uh, this lad left Norway at, what, 14, 15 to join Real Madrid and uh, he was touted as the next big, big thing. Obviously, it didn't work out. It went to, I think it was uh, Sociedad and then he went back to Real Madrid then he went to Arsenal and now he's made the move permanent. Now, you having coached a lot of youngsters who have turned out to be you know, pretty decent players... How much pressure do you think was on this lad at a very young age and where he's at now? Yeah, and he's probably levelled out now to the the level he should be at, which is a, a, still a giant in the Premier League, as opposed to Real Madrid being in the top three clubs in the world. So he probably wasn't that that level in all fairness, but obviously still a young lad, still, still very much in the potential phase. Uh, interesting to see that they got him and Smith Rowe in the team at weekend at the same time. Lee said before, you know, good players will should be able to play with anyone, but fitting them in the systems these days with managers with lots of choices, um, a tinkering mindset, a lot of them have got. And Arsenal look like they've just settled down, but, you know, coming to the Premier League and, no, you know, I still see Arsenal as a top four team, even though I don't believe they're obviously going to finish there. But uh, playing in the top 10 of the Premier League, he's probably suited to this lad's genuine ability and potential, as opposed to trying to break through it the first or second best team in the world. So he's probably now exactly where he should be. I think the interesting point about this one is that at Real Madrid, at Sociedad, he played further forward. Whereas at Arsenal, he's kind of in between Smith-Rowe and Partey, um, which obviously gives him freedom to drop the, collect the ball, release it and also go forward. Smith-Rowe, I think, was brilliant. Uh, I know he didn't get on the score sheet, but I think he was brilliant. And he's a, he's a he definitely one for the future. But how important is Partey to Arsenal at this moment in time? Because we've seen how they struggle without this you know, defensive midfielder. I think he offers so much to the club. Yeah, um, obviously throw it over to the lads. But um, obviously without watching Arsenal regularly or at all, 
the moment you mention, you know, Partey, it, I think of two games, one at weekend, because it's the one that sticks in your mind where he was superb and probably 70 minutes at Old Trafford last season where he was also superb. So um, the only problem with him is that he breaks down physically um, by, you know, being robust, the way he plays, the way he's, the way his profile is, that he's not been able to stay fit. But uh, yeah, you, you, you just feel that's another reason that Arsenal are just about to start getting better. And for me, it was getting out of hand that the Arsenal TV guys were getting more attention than the team. Hopefully now that's the other way around because the team are winning games again. Fair play. And Lee, Liverpool beat Crystal Palace 3-0. Three goals from set pieces, but they rode their luck a little bit. I think Palace hit the post twice in the space of two minutes, but once uh, Mane gave Liverpool the lead, it was only one way, wasn't it? Yeah, listen, it's always a difficult player, Sandfield, um, as you said. Uh, Palace were coming off the back of a great result against Spurs and um, you know they, they, they started the game really well but once you go one down there and you have to open up a little bit um, that the, the front players that Liverpool have and the movement and the way that they, they, they move you around the pitch to create the spaces for that front three then pro, pro, proves bit very difficult for you but as you say what Liverpool have shown as well not, not just an open player, but with set players also. They're a, they're a huge threat. And uh, I was down at Anfield earlier in the season for the um, for the Chelsea game. And, uh, you know, the, um, the, the, the the passing and the movement of, of the team is, is is superb. You know, Trent Alexander-Arnold has an unbelievable engine and getting forward, bombing up and down, and Robinson on the other side. So they have threats from many angles. So they're looking very strong as well at this moment in time. Steve, how many do you think Man is going to get this season? <laughs> you said you said twenty five. I said fifteen. I said twenty twenty five. I didn't say twenty five. Oh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put my hat on that. But if it's Calvert Lewin, I'm saying twenty. I stick with fifteen. <laughs> Rod, <laughs> I'm not going to bet this time, Rod. I was twenty quid down this time last season. Calvert <laughs> Lewin is not scoring twenty goals. Well, he's not playing at the moment, so... Yeah, exactly. There you go. Well, when he comes back from injury, we'll see. Don't worry. We'll see. Right, it's all about Cavalier's team, Rod. Um, Everton lost 3-0 at Aston Villa. Uh, Cash, Adina own goal, and Leon Bailey giving Villa, I think, was it three goals in nine minutes? I mean, that's just the perfect response to losing 3-0 at Chelsea last week. Yeah, it was a good game. This when I watched it, you know, it could have gone either way, but Villa got nose in front and then just went... From strength to strength, and uh, looking good this year, Villa. They've got rid of Grealish, you know, the big player, the, the person they rely on. They brought some good players in, and they've brought some good additions in because they do look good, solid at the back. Even though I'm not a great fan of that Mings, but they, they they did play well, and going forward, they are exciting. So, but again, Everton looked good as well. So, it was a yeah, it was a good game and a, and a good result for for Villa. Everyone a little bit depleted though. Pickford injured, so Begovic played his first game in the. You tell you're going to get that. You've got you've got a good squad now, and they've got some good players there. So you're going to get that in the season. You just got to you know next man up and, and try and do a job for your team. Well, without Cavalloon Richarlison, had to rely on Rondon, which was a bit. You got Richardson. He was injured. Oh, was he injured as well? Yeah, that's why he didn't play. All oh, right, okay. So Pickford was out, Richarlison was out. Yeah, a bit difficult. But to be fair, Gray and Townsend have been brilliant this season. And Gray had a couple of opportunities at half chances. But even still, um, they, they do look decent, don't they, Lee Everton under Benitez? I know a lot of Newcastle fans were, you know, this and that way with Benitez. I know Ben Dinry, who's a good friend of mine, he was a 
you didn't like Benitez. <laughs> yeah, but listen, as we spoke about earlier, you, you know, you can only work with the players that you have. And uh, Rafa had a, a team where he had to make them strong from the back and the way they worked. I mean, they started great. Rodri was right. I watched the game at the weekend. It could have went either way until Villa got in front and it was just crash-bang wallop, the, the finishes. Obviously, I know Demari very well. I give him his debut with Birmingham as a 16-year-old boy um, and uh, knew the talent he has. He, he found it difficult towards the end at Leicester, went to Germany and broadened his horizons for a few months there and uh, you know, came back and could prove to be one of the buys of the season at 1.6 million. He's an attacking player who has terrific speed, can run with the ball at speed also and he can make and score goals and he has a great work ethic. So, I think Everton will, will have a successful season under Benitez and, um, you know, they just have to. Those lads who come in for the injured players or suspended ones have to take their opportunity a little bit better than they did at the weekend. Absolutely. Absolutely. Steve, uh, did your City get out of jail at the weekend? Were they a little bit fortunate to come away with, with a draw? Because I know Guardiola was calling for the fans to make a lot of noise, and which they did, in all fairness. Um but should that have been a penalty? Um, I believe so, yes. Um, I'm only going to say this once. City have been on the wrong end of VARs um, in huge games, like against Tottenham Hotspur at the stadium um, previously, when Sterling scored. Um, disallowed goal later on in the game themselves. Um, so put that aside... You know, you believe it levels itself out good and bad, ideally. But at the same time, I do think Kyle Walker, you know, got, got away with one. Um, Roy Keane had him absolutely right last season when he said he's got one of them in him. I believe he marks incorrectly. I believe his body shape is often wrong. Uh, and he gambles high and pinches yards because he's got this extraordinary pace. Um, is he the fastest player in the Premier League? I think he is, isn't he? I, I think so. Certainly, the, I think he's the fastest fullback. He was bragging about it at one point, wasn't he? Absolutely. And I think he takes <laughs> advantage of that by, uh, by by stealing yards, which puts him in a wrong position. And then when he has to recover, he ends up running back towards his own goal. He's given penalties away for City. Not many, but he has. He's given penalties away for England. And he's always playing on the edge of danger. And in that moment, when you're running back towards your own goal, he basically put his leg across him um, in the attacking phase where the striker is, is is coming into the penalty area about to shoot. I only saw it as a red card. And if you notice Kyle Walker, normally they put their hands on the head, they, they, they act shocked and they try and beg to the referee that it's not a foul, a bit like the West Ham guys on Ronaldo. But almost Walker was knowing he was about to go and then the referee did it, and then the VAR saved him. So, to answer your question, Stel, I do believe Kyle Walker and Manchester City got away with that incident, yeah. And uh, as for the Foden goal, upside? Well, it would it, it would appear so. It it would appear so. Um, if those are the if those are the rules, fine fine margins. But it, it, it always seems to be Sterling. Uh, but credit to him <laughs> that he, credit to him that he's close enough to the goal to to make a difference. But um, yeah. Yeah, I think it would appear so. My my worry and concern is, though, there's a slight contradiction here because City have just won the league so well last year without a centre-forward, but eventually it's going to bite you on the on the backside um, with no focal point. Chelsea have invested £98 million. 
Manchester United have got Ronaldo. Um, City haven't got a centre forward, despite the fact that they think they have when they played De Bruyne up there, when they played Torres up there. But there are there are going to be times where it hurts you, and I think that was one on Saturday. Steve, do you know what? I know you guys didn't lose, and I know you kept a clean sheet, but I'm not having Nathan Ake at centre back at City. I'm sorry. Well, no, and he's and he's and he's. Um, his lose and draw percentage isn't good. He played in the Tottenham game. Uh, he's obviously he's obviously you know slower than the other centre halves at, at releasing the ball. Slower at recovering back towards his own goal. Laporte Stones are obviously ideal you know first choices, but that's another problem. Lee's mentioned that he watches Liverpool. We all watch Manchester United and Chelsea. They've got settled teams now. I know City did it last year. I've already said that. But City changed the right back every two or three weeks. They changed the left back every fortnight. They changed the centre halves every game. They changed the centre forward every game. They changed the right winger every game. Because De Bruyne is not 100% fit, he's being rotated with Gundogan. Despite this world class talent they've got, probably 20 strong players that could all start, the fact that they don't have the same team in key positions every week, probably at centre half mostly, means the reason for me that I don't think they can win the Premier League. Everybody else is settled apart from ourselves. Wow. Okay. Rod, uh, London Stadium. Uh, story of substitutes, really. Um, Jesse Lingard came off the bench to score the winner. He was assisted by Matic, who came off the bench. And then Mark Noble was brought off the bench to take a 95th-minute penalty, which De Gea saved. My God. Well, hell has frozen <laughs> over. <laughs> what, what's happening? I'm going to grow hair back now. Jesus. Um, yeah, so good result for United. 29 games unbeaten away from home now. Um, but it was obviously going to be a difficult one with West Ham being West Ham. Uh, but balance of play, did United deserve it? Uh, yes, probably. J- just. But, um, you know, West Ham put a good fight. We're probably lucky. That Antonio was suspended because he makes them a lot stronger uh, with his pace and his strength. But, you know, it's a good win there because they've got the tails up. The referee has... The VAR, the referee, has had a shock on both sides. They should have really had a penalty and we should have definitely had one. So I don't know what they were looking at there. But, yeah, Jesse Lingard, you know, the manager, was questioned in the week and rightly so for the, for the substitutions that he made. And, and Jesse Lingard, you know, he scores a goal, makes a mistake and then wins the game. It's his football. That's it's, it's what you do. It's what happens. You just got to, when them things happen, you know, hopefully your mates stick behind you, which they did. And you come out the other end, which he did. So, and it was a great finish and, and sods like it's, it's against West Ham. But yeah, it's a good good result for us and, and all in all, good three points. Social media was uh, awash with United fans complaining about Fred and McTominay playing again in the middle of the park. For me, I don't see where the problem lies. They do, they do their job. Okay, Fred is a little bit erratic at times, but he does a job. So what's, what's the problem? Is this just weird fanboys on social media just behaving like utter sport entitled brats? Yeah. That's yeah, plain and simple. <laughs> they, 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 these people can't even kick a football. So I don't even why you listen to them. I'm even talking about them. They're absolute fucking dickheads. They do me head in. There's loads of them now. There's everywhere, and they're coming more and more at Old Trafford, and they're, they're just a, a cancer to football because they're just angry. They're horrible, and uh, yeah, just more and more coming out, slagging the manager, slagging the players. 
it's just not what we're about. And yes, you can have a moan and a whinge, but when it starts getting personal and it's just not on, just support your team. And, you know, most of these people don't know where you know, Trafford is. So, yeah, it's a good result. End of, after a bad away result. You know what? I love the moment I finished asking that question, Caesar walked out of the room and he knew you were going to go off on one. Yeah. <laughs> he knew it. He sensed it. Steve, uh, we spoke about this during the Euros, bringing on a, a substitute to take a penalty. And a lot of people discuss Mark Noble, whether or not he should have come on and take. But then again, his record speaks for itself. I think he's only missed like four penalties in his career. But who is to blame here for, for this decision? And, and was David Moyes wrong to do it? Um, I'll do this quickly and rather hand this over to Lee, who's played centre midfield in the Premier League, running forward, scored goals and has probably, you know, taken penalties in his life. So best for him to answer. But I wasn't comfortable with it. Uh, David Moyes has the perfect excuse stroke reason for doing it. Um, he's the senior player. He is the nearest thing to a legend. They've got to the supporters, one of their own. They sing from the terraces. He's got a great penalty record, which David Moyes called upon. Uh, and in that moment, um, he was still fully tracksuited up with the bib. I don't think he looked like he was ready to take the penalty. David Moyes looked like he said to him, do you fancy this or what? They rushed the substitution. But I'm with Alan Shearer and the other pundits, Roy Keane. Um, there's no blood flowing through your body. Um, there's no stretching. You've not had that ball feeling uh, around your boot. Um, and Declan Rice is charging from box to box. He's got the ball in hand. He's already taken a penalty for West Ham. Um, oh, I, I thought it was the wrong choice, but it's easy to say in hindsight. I'd be interested to know what, what Lee thinks, but... I'm sure Matthew Letizia and Alan Shearer would have still scored had it them in that position. But even then, I would have had a doubt about it. I would have much rather have given it someone that has done 90 minutes, played well, and has got all that blood flow in his body and that ball familiarity in his boots. What do you think, Lee? I totally agree with every point you've made, Steve, to be honest. I think uh, all, all the points you've made, Rice was outstanding again in his performance. He's, he's took a penalty before. He's got the ball. He's very confident. He's grabbed it early. Um, Noble wasn't ready. But as you say, your manager says, are you up for it? You're not going to say no, are you? Because you don't want to. You're going to definitely tell him you're up for it because you're backing yourself. You're backing yourself to become the hero with probably a one and only touch of the game. Uh, all the talk will be about you after the match because you, you've, you've saved a point for your team. So, you know, from Mark Noble's point of view, he ain't going to refuse that. He's got a terrific record, as you said. But yeah, he, he hadn't looked like he'd warmed up. He just stepped off the bench. I think he's celebrating getting the penalty himself. And then when his manager turns to him, and as you say, you when you get on as a substitute, you want to you, you want to feel of the game, you want to feel that ball around you, you want to get the adrenaline pumping. And uh, the, you know, the pressure was straight on. So in hindsight, it's a great thing. It's backfired. David has to take the responsibility for that decision. If it had went in, it would have been a masterstroke. But I think, uh, yeah, I kind of disagree with every point you've made. I think Declan Rice would have been the perfect man um, to, to to take that penalty. He was playing well once again. And uh, But, you know... I've, uh, I've I've jumped on the Ronaldo bandwagon, even though I've got no links to uh, Manchester United at all. I just 
I, I can't wait to watch them every time now he's back because and, and I'm excited to see them and I think he's here. Uh, I, I was just I was intrigued with that game. I thought the finish was unbelievable and uh, you know how he didn't get a couple of penalties himself. But as you see on that point, it was it wasn't uh, it, it hasn't looked it hasn't come out great from the West Ham point of view. Still, still, just very quickly as well. I don't think you'll you'll see it more often now because that'll stick in the mind of other managers because it didn't happen for Sancho, it didn't happen for Rashford, and now it's not happened for Noble. I'm not so sure you'll see that again now because the the, the data is. I know it's a different club and a different moment, but the data now is is backing up that subs coming on with a minute to go to take a penalty doesn't work in terms of percentages. And I'm not sure you'll see it again. The only time I can really see that, remember seeing it, remember in, in Van Gaal, it was a keeper and he yeah. got the keeper on. But that, you know, that's probably, probably a bit different. That keeper was probably a specialist in... in... Oh, Tim Krul, yeah. yeah. He brought Tim, he brought Tim Krul on. Yeah. He's got a, a fantastic record at saving penalties. I think he saved so, two in one I, game against United, yeah, didn't he? But an outfield player, I've never really seen that before. So, yeah, yeah he's, he's just, like Lee says, he's, he's, the manager's been brave, took a gamble and it's not paid off. But they've got others like that, you know, the, the, you know, Cresswell. You know, you talk about him having them possibly one of the, the best left foot in the Premier League there there or thereabouts. You know, he, he takes all the set plays all over the all over the pitch. Um Bowen, Bowen Lanzini, the four now. Yeah, I mean uh, Lee's right when he says Mark Noble isn't really in a position and you can't really go against your manager to say and to say no I don't fancy it because you don't want to look like you're a chicken but the lads who've played 90 minutes I, I would have just hope one of them could have pulled a bit of rank themselves there but it would have been difficult to go above the manager Yeah I agree with what Lisa I mean Declan Rice scored midweek didn't he in Zagreb so he's in a rich vein of form at this moment in time so it is Sorry it is. Declan Rice was fighting with Jesse Lingard four months ago for a penalty in the same situation. You know, he was desperate, desperate to take a penalty for West Ham and Lingard took it and missed, I think. So, you know, it would have been Declan Rice for me in hindsight. Fair enough. It's a good job he's an experienced manager that can take the heat, that's accept it. And because he's quite experienced, he'd come out and owned it. So, yeah, other managers might have got lambasted, but... For it, but you know, he's took a gamble and it's not paid off. Mm. Lee, very quickly, you mentioned Cristiano Ronaldo. What I wanted to ask you was when Alan Shearer rejoined Newcastle, because obviously he was at Newcastle's youngster and he, he signed from Blackburn Rovers. Do you think that had the same buzz as when Ronaldo rejoined United? What do you remember about that occasion? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, we were on our way to a Far East tour at the start of the season, it was following on from where we blew the 12-point lead and Man United pipped us for the title. And, uh, you know, we're just about to take off from London to to go to the first leg of a Far East tour to Thailand. And um, Kevin Keegan, just before, you know, the, 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 the plane was to take off, got permission to leave. And, and then when we were in Thailand, before we moved on to Singapore, it got announced that we broke the world transfer record to, to sign Allen and bring him home. And, uh, we knew then that, wow, you know, if we didn't know we're playing for a big club at that time, um, that we, we did now. And um, it, it's it, the Ronaldo thing is obviously you, you bring him past, you bring him back one of the best players ever in Ronaldo in football. I mean, what an era to be involved in having him and Messi in the same type of era. What 
you know, we've been so lucky to have them. And, and how I see it as well, because I've had, you've obviously, when he's come back, you hear all these stories, oh, will he be the same? He's 36, he's, he's nearing his 37th birthday. But I just see a player who, you know, the last time he was here, he was an outstanding winger who had ridiculous pace and ball skills. I, you know, I, I witnessed that myself. I got bamboozled by him many, many times. And uh, But now he's reinvented himself as an unbelievable striker. I mean, uh, and, and, and that's very similar to what happened with Alan. Alan, not because of age, took some very serious injuries and he had to reinvent himself as a striker. So he wasn't the striker at Blackburn where he'd come short to drag the centre-half out and he'd clip the ball in behind for him to then power through. I mean, one of the standout goals of his Blackburn career was that one at Ewood Park when the ball goes over the top and Gary Pallister's hanging on his shoulder blades trying to pull him back and he, he rifled a left foot half volley past Schmeichel. But he, he couldn't do that after the injuries with us. He had to become different. And what he'd done is he reinvented himself as a striker, a different type of striker and one who got the ball out wide and got in the penalty area quicker. Um, whereas Ronaldo, he's just reinvented himself as a, as a as an out and out striker. He, you know, his instincts yesterday for his goal, he's he's walked out, he's getting on the edge, he's getting on the shoulder of the, the last defender. He's, he's he's basically making Fernandez mind up and he's he's on the move. He, I think the stats were something like he had eight attempts at goal. Probably should have had two penalties. Um and you know, I'm I'm love having him back in the Premier League. I'm love having him back in our football. It's it mustn't it mustn't be great when you face him because he's his mentality, his his winning mentality just must be rubbing off. As I as I mentioned earlier, when you're talking about my career, when you're a young player and you're looking up the top players and you want to learn from them, them young players are not Man United dressing room. Wow, they've got the best example they could have wished for because he is just a phenomenon both on and off the field. And if they don't learn from him, they need to you know, check between their ears because they're not doing the right things. They've got to watch what he does every single minute of the day. 100%. And just quickly going back to his goal, I think it's the attention to, to detail as well. He wasn't getting any change off of Bonner and, and Zuma in the air. So he peeled off, went to towards Cresswell, who perhaps isn't as good in the air. And there you go. Well, that's why he's, a, he's one of the best ever. He's, he's, his intelligence on a football field is, is absolutely scary. And... Um, you can never rest with him when you're playing against him. And I, and I, and I love watching him. I, I love his mentality. You know, I've obviously been a manager and you always, when you, when you manage young players, they sometimes just see the end product. Um, and, and I've seen, obviously, there's been stuff on TV and social media about the work that Ronaldo puts in away from the field, the work ethic he's got, the, 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 the way, the shape he's in, the condition he's in. And as, when you're a manager trying to, get young players to to understand this. This is the best example ever that, yeah, you're seeing the end product, the skills and the tricks and the goals and the free kicks and breaking of goal scoring records left, right and centre. But the hard work that he puts in behind the scenes has got him there. He's got obviously unbelievable ability, but his work ethic behind the scenes is ridiculous also. And that can only be the best example. And every, every young Man United player now must be rubbing their hands to think that, they can only learn off this fella. 100%. Absolutely. Steve, um, we can't ignore the Chelsea victory against Spurs, 3-0. Um, on the day, we heard the sad news about Jimmy Greaves and it's quite quite literally was a game of two halves, as Jimmy would say. Um, Spurs were brilliant first half. Chelsea were, were brilliant the second. But I don't want to... 
I don't want to downplay what Thomas Tuchel did from a tactical switch, but for people to be saying that he's a tactical genius for switching things up and changing the game, even he said so himself, first half Chelsea lacked the energy, they switched up second half and, and they won the game. Was it that simple? Yeah, well, you you, you put in uh, on at half-time, uh, for whatever reason, he didn't start him, but Angole Kante is a serial trophy winner, uh, which makes him a serial winner. Um, and he's obviously, there isn't a player like him in the Premier League that, that does what he does. Not one single player plays the game of football like him, as good as him. Um, so it would have been a perfect excuse to, to get him on the field for what he wanted. For Mason so, so, Mount, sorry, Steve, sorry to, to cut you off there, but I think with N'Golo Kante, because he wasn't fully fit, they only wanted to give him a certain amount of minutes, but they would have rather played him at the end of the game as opposed to the, the, the beginning and taking him off at half-time. So I think that's why he, yeah. he chose... But but he couldn't wait, obviously, to get him on at the expense of Mason Mount. I saw a different Kante yesterday. I know he's played the position before, but he was not necessarily sat in front of the back four, stealing the ball, stopping the ball, going into centre-forwards. He was receiving it on the half-turn. He was driving. He was dribbling. Um, he was um, very much possession-based because they already had Kovacic and uh, Jorginho in there. So it, sh- it showed me how brilliant he actually is. I think Tuchel said in his after-match comments, this this guy can basically do anything. Um, and yeah, it's going for Tuchel at the moment um, because he changed a goalkeeper in a penalty shootout to win. He changed formation last week to split strikers and put a number 10 behind it instead of a 4-3-3. But when you have got elite world-class players um, who all bring something different to, to, the, to the game, to the table then you've got a chance of it coming right. You have the uh, chance eventually, like you get called Guardiola and Ranieri, of being a tinkerman when it doesn't go right, even though people, they retain their respect. But for Tuchel at the moment, it seems to me, outside looking in, that every little bit of tinkering job that he does goes his way. So at first you think, if you're a football rival, you think he's lucky him. But when you start doing it six, seven, eight, nine, ten times, and it works for you, he's obviously a special coach. Absolutely. And Rod, what are we going to talk about Spurs here? Uh, defensively, weren't great second half. I know they've been unlucky with a few injuries, etc., etc. But this is a work in progress. And I think Spurs fans need to be a little more patient with Nuno. He hasn't got the players that he wants. He's dealing with a deck of cards that he isn't happy with, as you can tell. Um, what, what's, what's ahead of Spurs at the moment? Do they need to get rid of Kane so they can move on? Well, that's not going to happen overnight. So, first of all, they need to tell him to play centre-forward and not hold him midfielder because he's not going to score any goals there. You've got one of the best strikers the Premier League's ever seen and he's... He played him out wide for quite, quite a lot of the game. Pardon? He played him out wide for quite a lot of the game. Left yeah, side. so I, I don't know what's going on there. But, yeah, it's it, it, you know, they've, they've started off so well, but now they seem to hit a brick wall and... Yeah, they seem to be struggling, and there's you know there's big teams up there, that, and if they lose, they're just losing losing pace, and they're just going to struggle. And it's it's a difficult one because they just haven't got the quality to compete with these top teams. They just haven't. Look at Chelsea. Chelsea, he didn't like what he seen in the first half. He changes it. He can bring on quality to change a game. Tottenham haven't got that. They, they rely on the top players and when the top players aren't playing, they're always going to struggle. 
And until that happens, it's going to remain the same. So, yeah, the manager's got a tough job there because it seems to me that even though he got there and he started well, the fans, there wasn't really the fans' choice. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be a, a long old season for, for, for both teams in North London, to be honest. Yep. And let's wrap up with one more game. Lee, Brentford beats Wolverhampton Wanderers 2-0 away from home. A bit of shithousing going on in that game, to be fair. But listen, they've got a, a good points tally at this moment in time. A lot of people felt that they'd be candidates for relegation. How do you assess their start to the season? Outstanding. The team that's came up. But I felt, um, you know, that, that they had a good opportunity. They, they've got a set philosophy. They've got a set structure in the football club in terms of how they go about their recruitment. Um, and the players have took to it. They obviously had a, a, a great moral boost and first win of the season when they beat Arsenal in their new home. And uh, they're riding on the crest of a wave. I mean, it's a bit galling for Newcastle fans when we're talking about issues that we need a goal scorer. And, uh, Ivan Tony who wasn't really given an opportunity up here, is, is proven to be a, a, a terrific uh, player in the Premier League. You know, he's one of these players that goes up and gets the opportunity because he goes up with a team. And then there's question marks, oh, can he do it at the next level? Well, he, he's proven he can. He obviously scored the penalty with a plum and, and, and made the second goal. And uh, they the play, the play with fantastic intensity. And, um, you know... Wolves are finding it difficult. The change in the way they've played uh, under their current coach, the, you know, that they're, they're not getting the results. I think the more worrying thing for the coach is that they ain't scored a goal yet. And the longer that goes on, the confidence of the players uh, erodes. So, yeah, I think Brentford have, couldn't ask for a better start. And I think they're going to they're gonna be a, a tough team to, to crack because of uh, the way they play and the intensity that that they play at, and um, you know, when you talk about having the crowds back, you know, their fans having witnessing top level football for the first time in many many years, that's going to be a tough place to go and get results for any team. Does anyone else know much about Thomas Frank? Because he just came out of the blue, didn't he? Getting them promoted, and uh, you know, he seems like a, an authoritarian. I remember. I, I think I think he came through the links that they have through the owner, Michelin, uh, Michelin mm. and um, he was assistant. Um, to Dean Smith and obviously when I've come up against Brentford my managerial career I was part of the staff there and I've bumped into women games he seems a, a, a very bubbly character a likeable that guy and you know wears his heart on his sleeve I think he's getting a bit emotional at the weekend um, during the game but hey what's the matter with that that's what the game's about emotion it doesn't matter if you're a manager as well if, if that's a personality you are you've got to be respectful to your own personality don't be on the touchline and be there standing quiet if that's not your personality. If it is, yeah, that couldn't couldn't train. But if if you look, you know, that as long as you don't be upsetting uh, your fellow, uh, you know, coaches and managers on the other side, and your passion for your team, that that's fine. And um, I think, uh, yeah, that, that that they're following the manager's lead or the head coach lead, whichever way they want to talk about it. And I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna be fine. Brilliant. Well, gentlemen, another fantastic episode. Thank you ever so much for your time. Lee, thanks for jumping on. And hopefully thanks for the invite. Again sometime soon, mate. It'd be great to have you on. Thanks for the invite. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Lovely. Lovely. Do, you to, do you want to promote any of your socials and all that? Rod? Me? Yeah. Oh, he's gone. <laughs> um, no, no, I've got James Giggs. That's it. 
And Steve, thank you for your time, mate. Thanks for hooking us up with Lee. Unfortunately, Lee dropped off, but um, I'll, I'll send him a message just to thank him for joining us. And uh, yeah, another great episode. And we'll be back next week. So till next time. Where's it now, Stairs? The Marriott. Bye, yeah. ride. Yeah, exactly that. Get a sweat on. Absolutely. Sweet. There you go. He's going to the gym.